Hello and welcome to our Catholic News podcast. Today we're talking about the Bishop's Synod that will take place in Rome from the 3rd to the 28th of October and the subject, Young People, the Faith and Vocational Discernment. Now, I have exactly the right person in the studio to talk to us about those things. It's Isaac Withers. Isaac, how are you? <laughs> really well, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Now, you've been with us, actually, interning in our communications area for best part of a year mm. and had the privilege, I would say, in March of 2018 to go out to Rome for a pre-synod. Now, I think you better tell us what that is, but at the end of it, you came up with a document and you saw the Pope and were fully part of the process that will lead into this synod in the autumn. Yeah, so it's um it's a funny thing. I remember um, when I got the internship here in communications, I didn't expect this to be a part of it. It was just a huge sort of side project that came out of nowhere. But what was funny was that as soon as someone had said, do you want to go to Rome? I said, yep. And then I found out what it was, and it was this pre-synod meeting, and I'd heard it was happening. But then no one could tell me actually what a pre-synod meeting was because they'd covered synods before and they knew what that was, but no one... It's an unprecedented thing, so there wasn't a timetable until like the week before that I could see like you have an idea that you're going to have conversations but then you don't really know what's going to happen and then even with the document like it um yeah I saw a timetable maybe a week in advance and saw drafting of a document being like three separate days of that and the Pope you know being on the Monday like first thing was was an audience with the Holy Father so we were just sort of discovering it as it was going and that was sort of the feeling of the whole thing was that it was really fresh for for everyone well we do get that impression from pope francis it sounds obvious but that young people are very important to him to the church did you feel as a representative of the uk alongside people from all around the world did you feel as a group listened to would you say yeah it was really interesting when we were with him because he was with us for four hours on the monday and he rarely spends that time with people i mean he met with like president macron the other day spent an hour with him and that was like a lot of time apparently to spend with the world leader so mm. so the fact that he, he gave that time to us really showed that he wanted it to be a serious part of the of the process and it really felt like that but he also talks about young people as like a prophetic voice in the church like he really um it described the synod process as sort of a listening experience. He talked about this this bit of scripture from Joel where it talks about young men dreaming dreams and being prophetic and old men engaging in that conversation um, and, and sharing dreams together. That's, that's sort of how he framed the dialogue of that week. And uh, it really felt like a sort of a two-way uh, experience. But, but that's how he thinks of young people as sort of this, this voice of, uh, of the prophetic in the church. Now, am I right in saying you were part of the writing team of this document? Yeah. Which obviously requires, I don't know, merging of opinions on various topics. It involves translation. There are so many things to make it sort of, you know, a voice of one. Whereas mm. actually there are so many that mm. that are feeding into this. Tell us a bit about the challenges and whether you, in fact, were happy with the final result that that went to the Holy Father. Yeah, so so there were there were 300 people there. So representatives from every every country that's involved in the church and... Then we were split into sort of groups of maybe 12. And then from each of those groups came a summary of their conversations, which would be about three pages for three days worth of conversation. So already a lot of distillation of, of the conversation. And then by the middle of that week, it went to the redaction team. The redaction team was seemed to be randomly selected people from among the young people. So I got onto that from, from my group. And I have a suspicion that it was because I was English and I did an English degree and they wanted the first draft to be in English. So there was kind of a, a joke going around early on. It was funny because they, they wanted translators and they wanted people that spoke multiple languages and I didn't. So I just said, well, I, <laughs> everyone was going around saying what they can write and what they can read. And 
And I just said, well, I, I speak English and I write English, so if you need it translated from English to English, I've got it. And, <laughs> and so there was this, but there wasn't need for that because you kind of had these weird European translations going on that just didn't make any sense in English. But yeah, so then became part of this redaction scene that was maybe only about 18 people of that 300. So then that was us sort of surrounding ourselves in this basement that was sort of like a library. It was like writing a dissertation, like it was just being surrounded by so much information and then trying to cram it all in, which at first looked impossible in the time that we had. We had maybe about three days for the whole drafting process. But what was really heartening was that actually the same things started to come through all of the documents. So even though it was global, and at first you would think maybe we can't find the unified voice here, like people started to say the same thing. I was part of the team writing on the section on the church and how they should accompany, mm. uh, how how the the sort of yeah the pastors should accompany young people and and young people kept saying the same things that they felt they wanted responsibility in the church that they felt capable of being leaders that they didn't feel listened to that they didn't feel they could be creative and the phrase authentic became a bit of a running joke to us just because that phrase was just everywhere all over the whole thing the the idea of, of people being truly who they are and the church being that and its leaders being that I think that word ended up in the document a lot because that just if you if you wanted to phrase up what people were saying, they it was young people saying we want an authentic church and we want to be a part of that. Now, maybe a tricky question. You know plenty about youth ministry in England and Wales. Uh, you're a young person yourself. You've taken part in this process. You've been around people of a similar age from around the world. So I think you've, you've got a good handle on this. Let's say I am a young person in England and Wales. I'm obviously not. I'm too old for that. But let's say I'm a young person. Do you think that the document, or where we're at at the moment ahead of the Synod, mm. has put forward the views of me and people like mm. me? Were you happy with it being representative of an English and Welsh reality for young people? Yeah, so it's a funny one because I think when I, you know, when I got asked to do it, to go over, I, I did a lot of sort of research and I met with young Catholics before I went out. We had a team here that was nationally sort of representative um, from diocese to talk to them about what they thought. And so I went out with more than just my own opinion and like the mega poll that had happened. So, so it was really trying to think about UK issues. But as soon as I became part of the redaction team and, and I kind of, we all really saw that as the listening side of the synod. I kind of then was like, well, my duty isn't anymore just to represent that. It's to try and to listen to everything that's come through from from the global side of stuff and to try and get it all in. But again, I think that I was amazed at the amount of things that were universal that weren't just to do with the UK that were my experience, but were suddenly being validated as like everybody's experience. So, mm. so like struggling with parishes that are inactive and how life seems to just burst out the side into initiatives that you know I could name in the in the UK. And, and every country just had different things that, that were doing these things. And, and actually, young people were finding leadership outside of parish a lot in other church things. So all these things that I thought were unique to our situation aren't at all. And then I met again with that group of young people after the synod, the, the people from England and Wales, and, and they had all read the document. And so we talked to them about it. And it's a difficult thing to write. So every section, I think, you know, there are sections that will relate to different countries better. But all of those people said it's it's really well done and it's got a nuance to it. And there was a girl who said that the sections on, on women and the church in it and in leadership and those things, she was like, when I read that, it made me cry because it was so uh, sort of what I think. And, mm. and that conversation all, it just never seems to be articulated in a way that's positive or good or that doesn't cause controversy or whatever. So, And even for myself, after the synod, there was a lot of press about it and I, I didn't read it for a while and I went back and I read the document and uh, 
and I found stuff in it that like moved me that I was like that's my experience without me thinking like you know what's the global or what's the UK or whatever just as myself I wrote it and I was like yeah I'm happy that that is there meeting with the with that that focus group we had before and after and hearing from them that they were happy with it that was really affirmative for me now you mentioned authenticity you mentioned being listened to I read a section on you know modern means of of communication social media being the obvious one and how you know this is a real opportunity to reach young people uh, where they're at where an awful lot of the world is at actually with these mm. these communications tools what else was in that document what would you say the key things are on top of authenticity and listening and using technology what, what else it's funny I, I've probably read it maybe four or five times and every time something else pops out at me and I get a different look at it the last time I read it I really saw there's there's a want for like unfiltered answers, a want for like real answers to real questions. So there's a phrase used in it, I think it's um, not wanting prefabricated answers. Uh, it's to do with authenticity again, but but people know that the church has a countercultural message and a countercultural teaching on, on a lot of things. And often young people have been given, I think uh, they've, they've received like the stories as kids and then that leap into adult faith formation, that just seems not to be there. So, I mean, the, you see it with the huge drop-off after confirmation seemingly everywhere. And again, that, that was quite a global thing. And then at university, like you just, when people start to become intellectual or start to become independent, it's almost a, a guaranteed thing that they leave Christian thinking because they all they've received has not actually convinced them or given them their existential answers or anything or their meaning. And I think a big thing is this space to explore ideas and to to have that openness. Like if your faith formation as a young person just comes from priest homilies, mm. I mean, we can't be surprised that people are checking out. Not because priests aren't great and not because their job isn't difficult or whatever, but that's not an effective way of like exploring your questions. Like it needs to be both ways. Sometimes people talk about sort of like Christian consumerism where it's like, I go here, I get my thing and I leave. And if you're a young person, you're being, maybe you feel you have to go because of your family or whatever if the mass hasn't been explained to you then it's not accessible so why would you want to go back like you need a space outside of that and and it's tricky because you you don't want to lose reference to the mass like that's not the place maybe for those conversations yeah but there needs to be that space externally of those conversations so like for me it happened in my family but also it happened you know among other christians in another context you know like yeah like you say retreats weekends away that sort of stuff where you're presented with the meaningful formation and like yeah, the answers that are difficult that will mean that your life has to change. Yeah. And you could lose people there. But they're going, I mean, that's happening because they're not being presented with any meaningful answer necessarily. Mm, that might be a bit full on. <laughs> no, no, I think that's very interesting. Now, finally, I'm going to ask you this final question. One component of the title of the Bishop's Synod is mm. and vocational discernment. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You're going to love this, aren't you? What is your vocational discernment? Have you considered where you fit in all this? So what's my vocation? Yeah, what do you see your vocation as at the moment? Or are you still discerning? <laughs> I'm not expecting you to, you know, put on a I'll cassette. open up my dating I'm, life. I'm just saying. You. No, no, you can go. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky little provocative question. Sure, but yeah. wait, wait, I don't know. You tell me. Where do you feel you're at at the moment? I think... Um, can, I, can I take this one general? Please, go Okay, on. great. So I think... Some of the research I've been doing, there, there was a really interesting video by a guy called Simon Sinek on millennials that went viral um, maybe last year. And in it, it's, it's mostly about technology and it's mostly about how 
young people's brains have been affected by social media. It can sound a bit sort of apocalyptic, but he's basically just saying, you know, we we know that these things can be addictive and it's filling our time and it's filling the space in our lives. My generation has grown up as digital natives and and the way in which we interact is really different and the amount of space that we have in our lives is, is so much smaller by choice, but yeah. almost because we've just arrived at this time when it's like this. So the actual time to like discern and to take the space to try and hear the voice of God is like a lot, by choice is smaller, but just generally that thing of discernment, it's hard to create that spiritual space for people now. Um, and that's why, you know, adoration seems to be more of a countercultural move. And, and actually that's why like taking an hour out to go to mass is like a lot of time to, to people who can't watch a five minute video or whatever, like that, that sort of thing of um, speed is, is interesting. So like creating that space for that voice. So, um, so are you saying then that technology, which does figure in, in your document uh, to the Pope and, and, you know, will be a conversation I'm sure in o- October, technology then is a barrier to discernment or is it an opportunity to discern? I think, uh, well, it's the whole thing of moderation, isn't it? Uh, there's obvious ways it's, it's good. The, the interconnectedness of people, the way that people help each other out, the way that it facilitates conversation. Like, after the synod, there's been a massive WhatsApp group of all of the people that were there, and I'll find out about stuff that's happening in like India and and just you know it's it's unbelievable for how it connects people uh, and continues conversation. I think it's mostly sort of the brainless scrolling, which is the other side of it, which mm. is because our brains aren't good at, at not doing that. Um, Repetitive strain injury in the thumbs, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. But um, so there's obvious good to it, obvious about it. It's um, it's just um. But I'm fascinated by what you say because you're almost suggesting actually that possibly, I don't want to put words in your mouth, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a positive that in the light of all that, you know, you, you have to make a conscious effort to step mm-hmm. away from it. And if you do do that, maybe you do get the space mm-hmm. for prayer, for adoration, for just calm, gentle time in front of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be intentional. Um, and I think maybe that's something... I've been looking into this a bit, but it's interesting when you look at sort of how relationships happen nowadays. So when you look at social media, then you look at sort of, say that the the big thing with casual dating for the last couple of years has been Tinder. Tinder is the thing where that was modeled on a deck of cards because you could pick up a card and throw it to the side and that's like swipe left or right or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's this unbelievable speed with which we're trying to process everything. So people cut out the awkward conversation of, do you want to go on a date with me? Because the founder of Tinder was scared to ask that question. So they made the app so that you know when someone matches with you online, that they, they're they interested. We're trying to cut out all the inconvenience in our lives and to speed everything up, but actually there are these processes that are messier. There is like, we need to be intentional about that mm. kind of stuff. And so in my own personal vocational life, if we want to call it that, yeah, like I'm very keen on like real communication between people who are interested in each other or whatever else. And uh, You're back to authenticity again. Yeah, and, and like actual, like making the space to pray and discern and to take time and not to do that stuff meaninglessly or, or any of that. And actually, I think people know a bit that they, no, no one's happy with like sort of things being meaningless, but they're not being shown a good alternative. I think because in a sense, they're not finding that authentic community in which they can have the existential conversations mm-hmm. and the meaning and all of that and, and really delve into like mature, like Christian stuff um, because they're not finding that. And, and like they've sort of lost trust in institutions and there's the whole postmodern thing of like not looking back anymore really at, at where we came from. There's a lot of people without meaning, but it's not that they don't want to find that counterculture that challenges them to more. It's just that it's not being presented to them.
Yeah, well, Isaac Withers, thank you very much <laughs> for your time. I mean, honestly, it's, it's gone on longer than I thought, so I've enjoyed it, enjoyed hearing your views. You're a thoughtful man. You've represented a lot of people, and I think you can have a reasonable degree of pride because it's not an easy task. And let's hope the bishops talk about all those challenging issues. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you.